Hey, Extreme Wrestling fans, it's Jim Molino from ECW, and you're listening to the Insider's Edge podcast. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I am your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. Great to be with you all once again. And this is a momentous occasion for the Insider's Edge podcast. This is something that, you know, we've been going at it for over a year now. And finally, after a year, I get the opportunity to interview a referee, but not just any referee. No, 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 no. This is none other than the incomparable, the one, the only Jim Refn Molino. How you going, mate? Good. How are you? Great <laughs> intro. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. And I'm doing great, my friend. I've got some uh, red wine here, so I'm I'm, I'm feeling good. Uh, <laughs> good for you. A little early here for wine, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, but hey, great to have you on the show, sir. Really uh, looking forward to this. And um, I did some research and there's so much I have to ask. Uh, but as usual, and I'm sure you've been asked this a few times, the first question on the show is, how did you become a wrestling fan before you got into the business? Well, well I grew up in the, the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. So I grew up with the WWWF. Um, so I watched um, Bruno San Martino, Bob Backlund, Tito Santana, Jay Strongbow, Gorilla Monsoon, all those, you know, that's that's the, the era I grew up with. Um, got away from it for a while. Uh, I think a lot of people do. A lot of guys reach a certain age and get away and find other things. And I, I found professional ice hockey because the, the local team in Philadelphia had won the Stanley Cup two years in a row when I was a kid. So that was kind of an influence to, to move away and start playing hockey. And uh, and I started playing the guitar a little bit. Um, you know, all, all guys, I think, tend to maybe uh, look for, uh, for a way to uh, interact with the female species. And a lot of times... <laughs> playing guitar is, is the way to do it. Um, so, uh, so I started playing in, in some bands and like I said, I got away from wrestling for, for quite a while. It wasn't until I, um, the late eighties, I got back into it through a friend that I was working with and we ended up going to the great American bash that was in Philadelphia that year. And that was wow. kicked me, kicked me back into it and not even just being a fan, but saying, wow, I think I can get involved. Right, that's awesome. And yeah, you know, if you if you want to be, you know, uh, meeting some ladies, I I would say being in a crowd at a wrestling show might not be the place, but playing guitar on stage certainly would help. Right. Well, <laughs> well, luckily by the time I got back into wrestling, I already had a lady. I, I my my wife and I were were married almost forty years, and and we have our kids. So I had kids too when I started wrestling, which is a, a bit of an oddity. Not not too many people start, you know, a little later in life like I did. Um, with a with a full family. Wow, crazy. Um, so okay, uh, how did you find your way to get involved with the business? Uh, and what was the first thing that you did? Well, the the ring announcer um, for the local NWA shows, the local ring announcer they used, uh, Joel Goodhart, had a wrestling promotion called Tri State Wrestling, 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you got if you're familiar with it, but Tri-State yeah. was really the predecessor to ECW. Yeah. And um, at first I wanted to be a manager. I thought, well, you know, uh, I love Bobby Heenan, love Jim Cornette. So I thought, well, I can be a smart ass big mouth, too. <laughs> so uh, so I gave it a try and I actually did it at a couple of uh, they were they were uh, fundraiser um, shows, not even really fundraisers, but they were for um, for uh, schools for special need children. So really for the for the kids. Um, and I did that a couple of times and thought, well, let me, you know, see if I can take the next step. And I, I approached Goodhart about it and talked to him and said, well, I, I really don't need another manager, but I could use another referee and, and sold me on all the, gave me all the, the points and I really sold me on it, but gave me all the points of, of being a referee. And I, I think I had the mentality of like, well, you know, I'm, I want to get in it so bad. Yeah. I'll, I'll switch to doing referee. And, and he, you know, promised me, uh, he said, as a manager, I, I may not need you for every show, but as a referee, yes, I definitely need you for every show. Um, and he, you know, he said, you know, whatever you pay for your training, I guarantee you will make back in a year. Right. And, you know, and I'm like, who's, who's very pulling my leg here. Um, <laughs> but it actually happened. I did make my, my, my money, but my money back in a year as a referee. That's how busy he was. Uh, um, so, so he said, you know, think about it for a while, talk it over with your wife, give me a call back in a, in a couple of days or a week or whatever. So, so I called him back 10 minutes later and said, I'm in and showed up to uh, the next practice, the next training session that they had scheduled. And it was, you know, on from there. Right. Um, now, I know a lot of <clears throat> wrestling fans out there might think to themselves, oh, being a referee would be a pretty easy job. All you got to do is count three. But there's so much <laughs> more to it than that. And I wanted, like, just for the layman out there, the layman wrestling fan that doesn't really know what goes into it, what's what's a, a young Jim Molyneux learning um, as he jumps into becoming a referee for the first time? And, um, you know just how important that you are to the actual match taking place? Well, the first thing I really learned was staying out of the way. Um, you know, they, they put me in the ring with guys who are at the level of where they're, they're doing matches and they're still haven't, they still haven't done anything in front of people, but they're able to go through a match. And I'm just basically picking a corner or picking the rope or, or, you know, trying to keep away from them, but, but knowing to move in to, to check the, the hole to make sure it's not a choke or something illegal and, and knowing when to step back and, and how to communicate between the two of them. And then, you know, and also getting your three count down. And, and there's, there's a, you may not think it, but there's a bit of an art to a three count. You have to have a steady count. Um, your count needs to be the same, the, the entire match or the, even the entire show. And my count may be different than another referee's count, but that's for the wrestler to know and, and realize. And um, working with someone enough times as, as we did in Tri-State and on into ECW, uh, we worked enough with, with the, the wrestlers that they knew our count. And they, they knew, you know, when to kick out and when not to. Because I was always told, and I, I still tell people this, uh, referee counts three, and he, refs, he counts the same count every time. And if the guy doesn't kick out, that's his fault, not yeah. mine, not the referee's fault. And if um, I'd back anybody up who who 
count it the proper count and the guy didn't kick it kick out i i you know the faults on the ref or, or i'm sorry on the wrestler and any promoter with a lick of sense should do the same thing always back up your referee when it comes to that absolutely because there's nothing worse than um you know when they hit three and the guys and kicked out and then everyone starts booing and getting real pissed off and they blame the referee for it <laughs> right it's, it's nothing or the more other way around the, the guy the guy kicks out and you still count three or you know yeah. there's there's the you know either either mistake and and you know it could turn the crowd on you absolutely and i'll tell you this uh last year i i did a, a special guest referee spot for a match that uh two friends of mine were having and um I got blown up trying to stay out the way. I, honestly, honestly, to everyone out there, it, it's 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 not a it's not just a walk in the park. It, the, the moving around, if you're not prepared going into it, you can you can be pretty exhausted. Yeah, moving around, you're communicating back and forth with with not just the wrestlers, but if you, if you're not using a, an earpiece like they they do nowadays, uh, you're communicating with the timekeeper or or the ring announcer or somebody at the table. So you know what's going on and how much time or time you have and all that kind of stuff. So there, there's a there's a lot more involved and a lot to learn. It's not just, you know, one, two, three. And a lot of independent promotions don't worry about their referee. It's the, their last thought. And the, the promoter might just say, well, here's here's a shirt and throw it on his brother-in-law. Just all you have to do is count the three disaster in the future it's just got disaster <laughs> written all over it absolutely um okay so you're, you're refereeing for tri-state i know it comes to a point where the company isn't going to be continuing on and i know that leads to a a little meeting that takes place with todd gordon and a few others um to start eastern championship wrestling um I know Bob Artis, who I interviewed uh, just two days ago, he talked a little bit about this. Um, I guess Todd, was Todd already kind of involved with Tri-State, which led to you also? Yeah, he was. He was He was involved. He was um, one of the ring announcers, if I remember right. I That's think he was right. doing yeah. some ring announcing, but he was also financially helping the company out. Um, and so when when Joel had to shut down, uh, I got a call from, I, I can't remember whether it was Bob or whether it was John Finnegan, the, the other referee with ECW. Um, Todd's, they were, I was told Todd's working on something. Uh, stay tight uh, stay, or stay loose, get ready. You know, we'll, we'll give you a call when something's ready to go. And I can't remember what the time span was. It wasn't that long. Um, it wasn't years or a year or anything like that. It was maybe a month or two and got a call and, and was told that, everyone that was part of tri-state is is welcome to come and be a part of ecw if you're interested um and i was and it was we stayed at this we were at the same level as we were with tri-state doing local shows um nothing there was there was no tv or anything like that involved yet um but yeah i went back gladly awesome awesome so yeah i wanted to get into a little bit of the early days of uh ECW, I know, um, you know, hardcore TV becomes a thing and, you know, now being a referee, you know, is this another thing and another learning uh, thing for you? Okay. Now, like we've actually got TV, we've got time that we have to stick to for each match. You know, how did you, uh, I guess, you know, become comfortable with that? Well, we were already, already working in the same manner in ECW. We weren't using, 
uh, earpieces. We, we still were communicating with the, the timekeeper. Right. Um, so that's how we, we stayed that way. We, we were like that all the way through. It wasn't until the WWE pay-per-views that we were using yeah. earpieces. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was till the very end that ECW was, was that old school. That, that, that was how we communicated. We'd get signals from timekeeper, uh, five minutes, 10 minutes, uh, three minutes. Uh, I don't have a pen nearby, but, but they would put a pen in their mouth time to take the match home. Right. Um, wow. You know, or, or the promoter would be on the, on the, the stage pulling at his tie. Uh, I remember one, t- one time where it was just, a, a let me, let me get my dog. Anyway, let me just keep talking while I walk out of, out of the picture here. Sure. Uh, one time we were doing a show and it was in such a rush to get everyone out of the ring that, that I almost think Todd Gordon almost hung himself pulling on the tie. that's fantastic um so you know the changes do come uh with eastern championship wrestling as time you know wears on eddie gilbert comes in brings in a lot of his guys and a lot Mm -hmm. of original guys go uh i interviewed bay ragney uh, maybe four or five months ago, and he talked about his disappointment, you know, being there right at the beginning, and then him and a bunch of other guys that were there at the beginning now were kind of on the outs, and a whole bunch of new guys came in. Right. How was it that Jim Molyneux was able to uh, retain his job during this influx? <laughs> Pure luck. I, it really was. Um, I wasn't close with Eddie, um, but I, I guess I did a good enough job, but it wasn't me that was let go as one of the referees. Joe Zanoli, uh, another referee, was let go. And, right. um, Joe actually went on to have a successful career as a photographer doing taking pictures for, for Bill Apter and, and the other wrestling magazines. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what I did to, to keep my job, but I just <laughs> managed to. I managed to keep it all through the different um, phases of of ECW. And so did John, John and I are the only two people that were with ECW the entire time. Yeah. None of the wrestlers, um, you know, other people left early or or left in the middle and and came back. Yeah. But yeah, John and I were the only guys who were there the entire run. Wow. Yeah. I was going to bring that up later because I was, I was doing research and trying to find out, was there anyone else other than John and Jim that were there the whole time? And I guess some guys might've come in a little bit later on uh, at the beginning and someone here or there would leave for six, seven months, come back. Um, So I mean, look at Tommy, as long as Tommy dreamer was, was with the company, he didn't come in until Paul came in. Right. But he did stay the whole time. So there's a, a whole two, two versions of ECW before that, you know, <laughs> yes. there, there was a version before we had TV and then Eddie came in with TV and, and then Paul took over. Right. And speaking of Paul, um, what were your first impressions of Paul when you first met him? Is the ceiling falling when you're mentioning Paul's name? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had met Paul before. Um, and um, actually, <laughs> the first day he came in to ECW, um, I was with the person that was picking him up at the airport, and he, he had his dog with him. <laughs> and so, like, his dog's cage, you know, carrying case was on my lap <laughs> while we went to the show. But, but yeah, no, I got along great with Paul. Uh, I haven't talked to him in a long time. I'm sure it would be, you know, hey, how's it going? You know, if, if we were to talk, I would, there would be no problem. Absolutely. It'd be like no time had passed at all. Um, 
So, okay, like as things start to evolve with ECW becomes extreme championship wrestling. I'm sorry if I'm kind of skimming through certain periods of time here, but uh, I, I just wanted to know, you know, as, as things are evolving and you've got all these different crazy kind of guys in the locker room, you know, when you go into an ECW locker room, Jim Molino's point of view, you walk in, what's, what, what, do you, what, what is it that you're going to say? Uh, I, I look for a safe place. <laughs> uh, um, you know, there, there are different, there are different aspects of the locker room. And, um, I wasn't a guy who was looking to, uh, get in trouble or get high or, or get drunk or anything like that. Um, yeah, I take a drink every once in a while, but I, I wasn't there to drink. Um, and I was always looked at one of the, um, uh, responsible, I hate to say that word. I'd be the responsible driver for for some of the people. I drove Paul quite often. I would make sure Paul's assistant would um, get there in time so she could set up the box office and she handled the money. So we would make sure, you know, I would make sure she was taken care of with with the money and everything like that. Um, a lot of the the guys who came in for maybe a one shot or whatever, I would be the one to be responsible enough to to drive them back to their hotel. A guy like Bobby Eaton. Um, yep. uh, uh, Brian Pillman is the guy I oh, drove gosh. Um, back to his hotel, which is, is a funny story. That that classic night he was in ECW was gonna gonna pee in the ring. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I mean he chased me out of the ring. I mean he really chased me out of the ring. I don't think I ran that that fast in my life. And um, at the end of the night, Paul says, "Hey, can you take Brian back to his hotel?" And I'm like, "Man," and he was acting crazy in the back you know playing 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 the game i mean it actually working the work i should say um so i said come on i'll take you to the um to the hotel and i had a, a dodge minivan at the time <laughs> so he gets in and we're pulling out of the parking lot and the fans are hanging out in the back and he's like howling and biting at the window and you know just putting on the, the complete you know, off, off the wall, Brian Pillman. And, and we got down the street and around the corner and he's still doing it. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it there or not in one piece. And we got up on the highway and, and it stopped. Just, and he turned, he's like, Hey, so do you have a family? Uh, you know, just, he just became <laughs> a regular person saying, Hey, what's going on? <laughs> and it was great. Oh my gosh. I've never been more impressed with anybody throughout wrestling than i am with him and being able to commit that much to to what he was doing with that character i just I, it never ceases to amaze me and that is a wonderful story uh thank you so much for sharing um <laughs> uh, so fast forwarding again another question you've probably been asked about many times before but it is such an important night in ecw's history and it's barely legal 1997 and i just want to know you know from your perspective your feelings this must have been an incredibly exciting night for you and everyone involved oh yeah i, I never thought i would get to pay-per-view i never thought that i would um I, I never expected to go to like a WWF or a WCW or anything like that. And ECW comes up with pay-per-view and I'm like, wow, this is cool. And I'm like, my parents can see me on the other side of the country. Yeah. Do this after, after the, you know, like they've only heard about it. So um, the night before we went there and I, I just checked out the building and they, 
they painted the floor <laughs> they they gave it a nice finish and and everything and and you know watching them check out set up the lights and everything so we had to check in the next day at like 12 30 which was you know odd we had never had to do anything like that before but it's it's pay-per-view and something new and they wanted to make sure everyone was in town so go over there around 12 30 and um every check in paul says okay you guys can can go have lunch and you know be back by i think it was six o'clock was probably call time maybe five o'clock and i thought you know what even though i was like only 20 minutes away i could have gone home and taken a nap i want to take it in so i just went and sat in the bleachers and and like i said watched them put up the lights test the lights test the sound um test the, the lighting for the entrances, just like the whole thing, took everything in. It was, who knows if you're ever going to do this again? Um, because it was it was all something new to, to most of us, a good majority of us. So I just wanted to take it all in. And I just was amazed of, of how it worked and, and how we were able to pull it off. Absolutely. it's uh, That's exactly something that I would do too. Soak it all in and just take the time to smell the roses mm-hmm. uh, yeah, exactly. about, yeah it's uh it's a that's a perfect you know way to go about it i would have done the same thing um and what an incredible evening it was and uh, i'll talk to bob about this about how just of course just as the show goes off the air uh <laughs> <laughs> the generator explodes or whatever it was that happened the the power's out and uh it's, of course acw that's what would happen right <laughs> absolutely yeah we're, we're just real lucky that it didn't happen while the show was going on because that would have been a, that would have been perfect foil for for wcw or, or wwe look at these idiots they can't even put on a pay-per-view so why you know why would you know the the pay-per-view companies why would you deal with them again yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we lucked out of that one Absolutely. And what a wonderful end to the show with uh, Terry Funk, the living legend himself, uh, walking away with the championship. Um, Okay, another question I wanted to ask, which I'm sure you've been asked this one too, but uh, how did you feel when you found out Todd Gordon was leaving the company? Um, Because, you know, he'd been there, he, you know, he started the whole thing and uh, at least carried it on from Tri-State. So, you know, you must have had mixed feelings about, you know, your old buddy now leaving the company. Yeah, I really did have mixed feelings because, well, at the point, Todd was no longer the owner of the company. Paul was now the owner. And and I think that if if Todd was going to leave, I would have kind of expected him to leave right when he sold the company. You know, I'm, I'm selling the company. Paul's taking over. Thanks, guys. I, I did as much as I could. Um, I didn't expect him to stick around and and be a part of the the company or part of the shows. Um, so I, I was I was kind of surprised with that more than I was with him leaving completely. But I, I completely understand leaving. Um, it's, it's, you know, something that you created now, you know, it's driving off in a different direction and there's nothing you can really do about it. And I, I'm sure it was somewhat frustrating. Uh, so I, I completely understand the leaving the company. Yeah. Of course. And I just, again, I want to put it out there. Everyone, Todd Gordon said himself, he wasn't the mole. 
There was, he was no mom. Okay. WCW or WWF wanted to contact someone to come over. They didn't need to call Todd Gordon. They would find a way to contact that person. Okay. Just want to let everyone know out there, not, not to believe the narrative that can be out there sometimes. Uh, right. <laughs> um, so you have mentioned, you know, uh, some other things you did for ECW, like driving people and, and all that, but were there any other jobs? I know like a, a lot of jobs were shared among the talent in the company. Were there any other things that you did for ECW? Well, uh, at the shows or when it was when it was pay week, I would make sure guys got their checks, help get everybody out of the building a little bit earlier. Um, so uh, that was one thing. That, not just me, but the other referees did it too. Um, but then after um, after ECW got big enough, and we had been on TNN, and we were on TNN, I think it was. I don't think it was before that. I think it was the same time we became part of TNN. Um, they asked me to do some promotional work for the company. So what I would do is go to uh, the secondary cities um, like two weeks in advance and set up the street teams and, and get flyers out and get things set up with the, with the radio stations and, and giveaways and things like that. And then I would go catch up to uh, where we were that week. So, so my week would start when I, when I took this position, my week would start Tuesday morning, flying to i'm gonna say peoria just uh, out of you know picking a city because one team would i would do peoria there was another team that would do chicago because we were, we would do peoria chicago the same weekend right. chicago was where tv was done so i would go and do the secondary city so i would promote there until thursday and then friday i would fly to um let's say cleveland because we were doing that weekend, we're doing Cleveland and Buffalo. And so I would go and referee those shows uh, and then come home Sunday. So that was, that was my week. I, I quit a nine to five job it paid. Okay. It wasn't that great, but I quit a nine to five job so that I could do that. Um, and I did that for, I guess it was about a year and a half, maybe two years until the company completely shut down. Right. Wow. Well, there you go. Um, I, I was interested to see and I got some information that I did not know previously. I love learning things, Jim. It's the best thing ever. Um, <laughs> one thing. Well, a lot uh, of referees over the years, a lot of referees worked in the offices. If you go back to the territorial days, the referees worked in the offices, uh, setting up things like, like I said, with, with the radio stations or, or getting posters out and things like that. So, you know, the, they just didn't where when you think of the territorial days, when you think of wrestlers going from territory to territory, the ref, the referees usually stayed wherever they were and worked right. in the office. Interesting. Didn't know that. Awesome. Um, another thing that I, I feel like you're, you're known for is uh, getting physically involved during some <laughs> matches that you'd be in. Uh, uh, I read somewhere, um, I was because I was Googling your name and I found a, a, a thread on Reddit and someone talks about that you and Tommy Dreamer did a double drop kick spot together once. Uh, no. No? Okay, so they were <laughs> no, lying. <laughs> I, I, my ass doesn't, doesn't fly. <laughs> so I think it was John Finnegan. Oh, okay. It was it John. It had to okay. have been John. <laughs> right. Um, but I do know that you did punch Steve Carino in the face, uh, which must have felt good. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, what other things do, do you remember doing, you know? Um, 
Well, we, there's DDT one someone wants or something like that. Or he yeah, went. yeah, I think yeah. John and I double DDT Jeff Jones, who was was the evil referee yeah. uh, at the November to remember the first November to remember <laughs> that was a pay per view. Um, let's see, there was it was the Dudleys. It was the Dudleys against Dreamer, Sandman, and I think Spike Dudley. Yeah. At one of the heat wave shows from Dayton, Ohio. And we did the uh, we did the sliding drop kick into the corner, picked everyone up upside down, put them in the turnbuckle, the tree of woe. And I I slid um, uh, into Joel Gertner <laughs> while the other guys hit, hit the Dudleys. I hit Joel. Um, <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John did this on a pay-per-view, but I did it, too. We, we did it at house shows. Where you did the dance off with the between the the um, the BWO and and the FBI, <laughs> and you end up <laughs> FBI getting mad. They <laughs> they whip you. You duck, double clothesline the FBI, slam slam the FBI, and then for me, the highlight was up comes Tommy Rich, who was a hero of mine. Tommy Rich comes popping up, and you nailed Tommy Rich. <laughs> I love that stuff, man. It's really good. Uh <laughs> yeah, we we did some fun things here and there. We we tried try not to do too much because it's it's not really the 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 place for the referee to take the spotlight away from the guys. Of course. Um, I I say that all the time. A lot of people don't know what matches a referee does. And that to me, that's a compliment because that means I did my job and letting the guys get the spotlight. Absolutely. But, you know, every now and then it's really fun to see the referee suddenly. Yeah, you have to do it every once in a while. You have to get the get the tension out sometime. <laughs> uh, as the years went by, you know, did it ever cease to amaze you the kind of stuff the guys would do? You know, personally for you, what are some of the – and you had the best seat in the house. What, what are some of the craziest exactly. ECW moments that you saw – in person right there that you would thought to yourself, even though, you know, when you're a referee, you're kind of in character going, Oh, and Ooh, and ah, but there must be sometimes we're like, Oh my God, I can't believe these guys are going to do this. And then they do it. I, I think probably the, the one that really got me, cause I was in the ring for this where a lot of the others, I, I don't think I was uh, new Jack did a dive off the top of the cage at the ECW arena through, I think it was through a table. And I really thought he was hurt. And it was, it was like, it was a real holy shit moment. And um, he, he was fine, but it was like, wow. I, I don't think anybody had done that with, with ECW. And I think it had a lot to do with the velocity he was flying at. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, but, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of moments like that, that, you know, you're like, wow. And, yeah. you know, how does that, how does that, how do you get up from that? <laughs> absolutely uh you know after you know new jack rest in peace uh after he passed away me and my friends all together we did like a little tribute show because we had him on the show last year um so we did a little tribute show on our other podcast uh and we we played some clips and one was a compilation of new jack all of his dives and i couldn't believe the amount of times that the guy did it i thought it might have only yeah. happened, you know 10 times no 
it was it was so many and i just can't believe that guy seemed to walk away most of the time unscathed uh <laughs> yeah there, there were a couple of times that it was really scary um that that he wasn't walking away um i can remember he laugh about it now because we had fun with it um there was a night in milwaukee he took a huge dive off a balcony in milwaukee and the next night we were in chicago for tv and what was wrong with it? I'm not sure, but he was at the show in a wheelchair and he was, he was, he was a little medicated. So he was sleeping in, in the wheelchair and big Sal, who is, was probably the funniest person in the locker room um, <laughs> is like, let's get our picture taken with new Jack while he's asleep. <laughs> so <laughs> one would have the camera and the other one would move closer, closer to New Jack, and, and just get right up next to him. And Jack would go, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just stir a little bit. And Sal would take off. <laughs> and I'm standing there with a camera. <laughs> where, where would be the other way around? We never did get that picture. <laughs> That's excellent. But yeah, God bless New Jack. We we had a great time with him. Absolutely. And I, you know, and I'll say this just before I move on to the next thing. Um, one thing that I was most impressed with that guy was after he had that situation with uh, Vic Grimes and they've fallen off the scaffold and all that, and he was off TV for a few months, the right. very next time he was on television, he did a dive off of, off about, <laughs> and I'm like, man, after what you just went through, haven't, you know, you know, uh, your skull crushed essentially and blind in yeah. one eye straight away. He's back out there and he's like, I'm going to show everyone. It doesn't matter how hurt I was then I can still do this straight yeah, away. Nothing, nothing was going to stop him and he was going to prove it to everyone. Nothing, nothing was going to stop. And he did nothing did stop. That's it. Um, okay. I wanted to do this little section here to shine a light on, you know, the other referees and also some of the ring announcers, uh, in ACW. Uh, it, I mean, I could say word association, but if you have like a, a funny story or just how you feel about the guy, please. Okay. Share. Um, first of all, uh, John Peewee Moore. <laughs> um, Peewee was a was a good referee when he wanted to be. <laughs> um, he he was a better friend to Sabu uh, than than being a referee. But no, nah, I no problem with Peewee. Peewee and I get along fine. We, you know, we have fun. <laughs> cool, uh, Mr. Mike Keener. Love Mike Keener. Um, if anybody is looking for someone to referee a show, I he's one of the first names I would recommend. Excellent and, and, and very very um. Uh, a very forgotten about guy with the company because he was also on the ring crew. So another one who would get there early, he would set up the ring and, and God bless me do a show too, and then tear the ring down and drive to the next town Wow! with, with the truck. Um, and uh, I apologize to him that there were some nights that, that I gave him the last match um, just because I thought maybe he would like to work more with, with guys like Rob Van Dam or do the main event. Um, not, not, I wasn't trying to bust his stones or anything by making him have the last match and then have to tear the ring down. Um, it was all for him to get some, some more experience and, and help him move along with his career. If he was going to move on from ECW. Right. Fair enough. And that makes sense. Um, 
in my research, I, I found out that one Brian Hildebrand was also referee in ECW for a period of time. Uh, anything to, to share about Brian? Yeah, Brian came in and did one match, I think, for us with um, Cactus. It was when Cactus was in a program with uh, Shane Douglas. Uh, they all knew each other from the Pittsburgh area, uh, from going to Dominic Danucci's school. Yeah. Um, so they all knew each other, and it was it was a the perfect angle for him. I, Brian Hildebrand, I think, is a great was a great referee. Uh, guy worked. If, if you look at what he did with Smoky Mountain, he did the entire show every <laughs> night, every week. Amazing. Wow. And then again, he was one of those guys who would work in the office uh, during the week, and I, I think he probably drove the ring truck too. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, a lot of referees are unsung heroes for for companies, the backbone of the company, and, and people don't know it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, uh, your good friend, Mr. John Finnegan. My, my mentor, my trainer. Um, John trained me at the, the, the school that Goodhart had, and uh, we still work together. Uh, there's a local company called ECWA. Um, and, uh, they do a tournament every year, the super eight. Yeah. And, uh, I got invited to do the super eight, um, last month. And, uh, actually John's picking me up in a few hours in, in like four hours. <laughs> and we're going to go work for ECWA again tonight. Oh, awesome, man. That's great to hear. I was going to ask later on if you, you're still, um, refereeing here and there. So that's great to yeah, hear. I, yeah, I just got back into it. I hadn't refereed in, in seven years. Uh, I was uh, running a, a, a promotion on my own, and so I was more worried about things behind the scenes, so I wasn't right. refereeing. Um, closed the company down and, and started refereeing again. The opportunity wow. came up, and I took it. Fantastic to hear. Um, okay, so like I, I, I had to bring up Bob Artis's name, but if I have to bring up his name, then I should also bring up Stephen DeAngelis. Do you have uh, you know any thoughts on Stephen? Steve's a great guy. Steve's just uh, I just saw that he was going to announce for MLW. Oh, He's back really? To ring announcing for MLW when they start um, tapings in July in Philadelphia. Yeah, um, Steve um, was kind enough to think of me after ECW shut down. Uh, he ran a couple shows in Alaska and was kind enough to ask me to go. And I don't think I'd ever have the opportunity to go to Alaska if, if, you know, he didn't call me and, and ask me. So, and, and they were great shows. We had some fun that, that weekend. Amazing. But yeah, Steve's a great guy. That's great. And congratulations to Stephen on the new job. Good to see him uh, back out there. Uh, and of course, your good friend, Mr. Bob Artis. Um, You know what? I, I'll speak about Bob as a, as a, as a ring announcer, as, as one of the, the ring announcers is uh, forgotten about, but Bob and I have a bigger bond with hockey. I'm, I don't know if you guys <laughs> yeah. talked about hockey. <laughs> He's sending sure me a jersey. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Bob and I are, are big, huge hockey fans. And he had, at one time, there were three different hockey teams in Philadelphia, the, the Flyers, which are the, the NHL team. Uh, there was a minor league team called um, um, the, 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 the I'm drawing a blood the Phantoms. I don't know why I just draw a blank blue. <laughs> Their minor Flyers minor league team, the Phantoms, was in okay. Philadelphia. And then there was also a roller hockey team, Dogs. And they were partially owned by Tony Danza, the actor. Oh, right. <laughs> and and uh, Bob had, and his wife, uh, Lex, had tickets for every hockey team. 
And if they had extra tickets, they would call me and I would take either my son or my daughter and, and go and watch the hockey game. In fact, the Bulldogs, my daughter went all the time and they had um, cheerleaders that came up and down the aisles. And my daughter was a cheerleader for the, the midget football. I shouldn't say midget. Uh, the peewee football team, <laughs> the peewee football team in town. So she would take her, her pom-poms and go. And next thing I know, she's, you know, a couple aisles over cheering with the girls, with the cheerleaders. She would have a great time. Oh, it's wonderful. But yeah, Bob and Lex are, are great, great people. You, you can't mention Bob without mentioning Lex. So yeah, right. I love them to death. Excellent. Uh, and, you know, uh, when I interviewed him the other day and I would mentioned that I was, I was interviewing you a few days later, he said, um, so tell him, tell him I said to say that uh, he remembered becoming friends with you 50 pounds ago. <laughs> 50, 50 pounds heavier for me or 50 pounds lighter. For, I don't know. Pounds lighter. <laughs> yeah, no, no. That, there's no 50 pounds lighter here, buddy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another little sidebar, you know, aside from the ECW referees, is there another referee from the wrestling business that you like their work? Oh, I love Tommy Young. Uh, well, we mentioned, we mentioned Brian Hildebrand too, but I love Tommy Young. Tommy Young took such authority in the ring. Um, you know, he was able to, to back down the Midnight Express and back down Jim Cornette, back down Ric Flair. Uh, you know, and, and assume control of the ring and assume control of the rules, which is something the referees don't do nowadays. Uh, they don't, they don't seem to let them. Uh, yeah. It's a shame. It, it's, it's uh, part of the art form that's lost. Um, and, and I don't care who hears me. I'm not going to get a job out of it or anything, but, but I'm, I'm not a fan of the WWF for being disrespectful to referees, not only on the shows, but the referees of the past, there's no way that there should not be a WWF referee in the Hall of Fame. There, there's Great. not there, there's not one. And I don't mean in the legends wing and, and no, no offense to anyone who's in that. But, man, tell me that that guys like Tim White or, or Charles Robinson, who's still there, Mike Chioda, um, you know, all those guys, Dick Worley, guys who worked for Vince Sr., yeah. Um, Dick Kroll, you know, guys who, you know, were, were referees into their, their late sixties and, and worked for the company. Uh, you know, they're, they're completely disrespected by not being mentioned at all. Um, so, you know, I, I wish there was a way to, to get people to, to get behind it and, and get the referees recognized that, that they're a part of, of, you know, the product that they're putting out there, that the, the product that they've put out in the past, uh, and they should be respected guys who, you know, went out there and, and did 60 minute matches. Yeah. You know, they, they worked just as hard as, as, as the, the wrestlers did. I agree. 100%. Uh, it, the, their hall of fame has always uh, pissed me off. Let's just say that it's yeah. always pissed me off because uh, you have an opportunity to give the time of day to shine a light on people and give them the stage for once in their life. Referees spend so much time wanting to make the wrestlers look better, wanting to help the company in each and every way that they possibly can. It would be nice for some of them to have their day in the sun and be able to stand in front of that big crowd and have them appreciate them and, you know, just be able to speak 
how they feel about their time in the wrestling business and and be bestowed this honor of being in the hall of fame that just it just really gets me mad that they don't yeah. uh shine a light on not just referees as well but backstage personnel you know sure. I, I think there's a seamstress in WWE that's been there for like 30 years you know right. so many people that have have worked hard that deserve that yeah absolutely there there so many people behind the scenes are are part of any any company that that should be you should be given some recognition that that they haven't gotten yet and they they probably won't yeah i think one day once uh, vince mcmahon is no longer around maybe then things like that will take place i just think he's adamant about certain things even if there's no thought process behind it um <laughs> not that i know him personally or anything but just from no. what i gather <laughs> um okay uh I always ask everyone on the show that was at this show about this. Uh, and I just want to get everyone's perspective so I can make a big compilation video about it. Heatwave 2000, there's a situation with XPW in the crowd, which leads to a big brawl in the parking lot. Even if the, you didn't have much uh, to do with the brawl or anything like that, what's your perspective on what, what went down that day? Um, <laughs> I was in the ring when it, when it happened. So right. I couldn't leave and, and be a part of it. Um, from what I, just a little backstory to it. We knew that they were there. Right. Uh, they, <laughs> in fact, my, my dad came, had come to the show at, I had a lot of family at the show because it was in California and some of my family's there. So my dad said, Hey, there's this gang gathering on the corner over there. And they look like they want to start some kind of trouble. <laughs> and my dad, who knows nothing about the business, um, you know, said, uh, you know, something's going to happen tonight. And I said, eh, we know they're there. We know who they are. We know what's going on. Uh, from what I understood, they talked with um, Atlas Security and said, no, 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 we're here to show support. And they were they were very well behaved until the very last match. And um they got involved and and everyone you know security came from one direction the 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 locker room came from another direction <laughs> and and confronted them and luckily we were able to get them out of the arena area so that the the show could go on and i was tommy was in there with us it was his match it was him against uh just incredible yeah and um said you know hey we got to we got to get the people back to the match. So we, we continued on with the match. Like we, sh we should have, um, from what I understand, what I've been told as, <laughs> as those guys were being led out the building this way, ECW guys went to the locker room and outside the building this way and <laughs> waited for them. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and the fun began from what I understand. <laughs> and once someone told me, and I, I, I can't remember who it was, the two who did the most damage were Mikey Whipwreck and Tony Mama Luke, two of the smallest guys <laughs> with the company. 
<laughs> just went ballistic. <laughs> Whether it's true or not, I don't know. Wow. I was in the ring, but that was a story I was told, and I hope it's true. <laughs> That's amazing. Because, like, I've had so many perspectives of this from, you know, Big Sal to C.W. Anderson to, you know, New Jack to Chili Willy. And I, I heard Chili Willy was beating up two guys at the same time. <laughs> New Jack was on crutches, and he's hooting and hollering with his crutches in the air. Big Sal's clonking people's heads together. I don't know. It's just, if there was one time in the world's history that I wish someone had a camera phone on them, that's an occasion. Right. I would love to. <laughs> they always pull it out, you know, and, 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 and film things that they shouldn't be filming, but that was something that should have been filmed. Yeah. The day, cause yeah that, that, I'm um, surprised we didn't send a camera out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So like heat wave 2000 is kind of like we're heading towards, um, the end of ECW was there a time where you started thinking to yourself things don't feel they're going well something doesn't seem right I know there was problems with TNN you know with stupid stuff like just advertising the show and then when they do they put the advert on whilst the show is on which is ridiculous but uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> was there a moment where you're like I feel like something's not right here well we lost the TNN deal and I thought, well, this is this doesn't help. But, you know, there's the possibility of getting on somewhere else. I thought the ratings that we drew were able to help us get on some other network. And at the time, there weren't as many networks as there are now. It's easy to get on. I would think it's fairly easier to get on a network. with a, when, If you had a product that was, I think our, our ratings, we were getting over a million people or, or around a million people every week, which was more ratings than than uh the roller derby guy or or yeah. the the monster jam or anything else that they were pushing yeah. uh, on tnn <laughs> um but i think when they stopped sending me to towns to promote that was when i said mm, uh. this, this isn't good um but i was also i also drank the kool-aid and thought well you know one step back two forward and, and we never took the two forward Right. Yeah, I remember uh, watching the Paul Heyman documentary that the WWE put out and um, how there were even talks of maybe, you know, they might buy the company and Shane McMahon might run ECW just as like for, for a test for him later <laughs> right. on in time. Um, stuff what I was, like that. I, honestly, what I was hoping was that ECW would become a, um, a territorial training uh, facility for for the WWE because they were doing the the training they were doing Memphis and and um, Cincinnati and then they switched OVW and, and Deep yeah. South so I was hoping that it, I thought it would have been a good idea because it was close to WWE headquarters that it would have been easy to send someone down or call someone up yeah and they did that over the years as well you know I know that Darren Drozdov went to ECW right. for a while and that's why Just Incredible went there because you know he was signed to WWF they weren't doing anything with Aldo Montoya so he went there and had the best run of his career um right. so you know uh, you know yeah you, you can play what if all you want but you know sure. it's not going to bring back this wonderful thing that was in existence in the 90s um I wanted to talk about it's it's January of 2001 you're in Pine Bluff Arkansas uh were you at this show I, I assume you were refereeing on this show I know that not many well at that point you didn't know until Paul showed up on Monday Night Raw that it was over but you know I think the show ends with a bit of a beer bash in the ring or something like that <laughs> yeah 
Did everyone feel like this was the, did you feel like this was the last show or did you just not know? No, I, I didn't think it was. I thought we could, you know, we, we had a few more that we could pull off. They were talking about, there was still a pay-per-view to do. Mm. Um, so I was hoping that at least we would get the pay-per-view in. And, and if, if anything, that would be the swan song. Um, but a lot of guys stayed backstage, didn't come out and, and take part of it. Um, they felt that there was no reason to, to celebrate. Uh, and I can understand that. Um, I stayed in the ring cause I was there. Yeah. Um, so did you referee that match? Yeah, I did that last match. Yeah. Wow. So I think it was Justin versus Sandman. If I yes, I'm correct. Yep. Cool. Oh wow, that's just such a moment in time. Uh, I guess you found out like everyone else when Paul walked out on Raw. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't. Again, still didn't even think that that was the end of it because we had such a, a working relationship with WWE that well, okay, right. getting some money for the company and. And, you know, maybe there's some negotiations still going on to, you know, get us a, a deal somewhere. Um, so it was still a hopeful situation, but it just, it went away pretty quick. Yeah, that sucks. Um, so I wanted to ask about post ECW, because this is, you know, you were there since Tri-State. Uh, you were there from the get-go. You built a bond and it's like a family as, as uh, Francine said recently, it was like, you, you're all a big family. Mm -hmm. You lose your family here that you're going to see several nights a week. How does that, how does that make Jim Molyneux feel in 2001? It was tough. Um, I was not only that, but I was work wise. I was used to being away from, or, or not, I shouldn't say away from everyone, but, but being out on my own from Tuesday to Sunday. Um, and now I'm, now I don't have anything. Now I have to find a job and WWE is not calling me and uh, it's, I don't have the look for WWE. I'm sorry. I'm a short, fat, bald <laughs> referee and look how many short, fat, bald referees they have none. <laughs> so, so it wasn't coming and I had to go find something to do, but yeah, you, you missed that that weekly gathering. Um, it was almost like, you know, like Francine said family, but it was, it was a club, you know, we, it was a private club and we, we would meet, we would have a meeting every week for, yeah. for two days or three days. Yeah. Yeah. It must've been hard. Um, and obviously the years go by ECW chants are still prevalent. They do a documentary. The documentary does very well. The DVD sells very well. Rob Van Dam takes the time to, have a little powwow with Vince backstage and says, you know, pitches the idea, let us ECW guys go out there one more time and, and do this one more time. And surprisingly to me as well, you know, I feel like this, I can't believe it, but he actually said, yes, ECW one night stand 2005. I assume maybe Tommy gives you a call. Somebody gives you a call to yeah. be a part of this show. Um, tell me about that phone call, your initial feelings and of course tell me about that night well i get the call from dreamer hey we're doing a reunion show we want you to be part of it <laughs> <laughs> as excited as he was um so yeah it, it was a great night uh, i thought everything went really well we had you know we it was an ecw show it wasn't a wwf show yeah. which if you, the next year comes around and, and they want us back it's completely a different thing. It's, yeah. it's a WWF show, even though it was called ECW. It was, 
it was run completely differently, had a different attitude. Um, but yeah, that's that first one night stand I thought was great. And it was a great set. I think that was a, a perfect, not, not, I shouldn't say perfect, but the closest to a perfect send off ECW could have had. Absolutely. Uh, I'm me and my friends watched it and we were just couldn't believe it. And it just felt like authentic ECW. And they, even when they go backstage and Joey and, and, and Mick, you know, sitting there, there's an ECW banner behind them. You know, it's, it's not this over the top kind of like squeaky clean looking thing. Right. It looked the way an ECW show should, especially at the Hammerstein ballroom. Um, but one thing I want to ask you about, which I, I to this day, I, I find it hilarious because I don't know why it happened. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the answer. But <laughs> after Masato Tanaka and Mike Awesome have their amazing matchup, you get powerbombed. <laughs> yes. uh, and I always thought, why did that happen for? And I keep thinking, <laughs> hoping that it's like that you just went up to Mike and said, you know what? Powerbomb me, bro. <laughs> but what happened there? Uh, no, it was actually the opposite. The only two people who knew about this power bomb were, were me and Mike. Okay. Um, and that's why you didn't catch it live. Um, yeah, it was a great play. Yeah. Mike, Mike came to me and asked, he said, after the match, I want to get back in the ring and, and power bomb you too. I'm like, okay. I said, now, Mike, I'm not the greatest athlete in the world. I'm a little bottom heavy and I don't have a lot of ups. <laughs> Are you sure you can pick me up? Yep. No problem. Um, and Mike is a pretty strong guy. So I was like, no, okay. I'll trust you. Uh, maybe you shouldn't have trusted him. Uh, during the match, he, he got a good slice in his leg and, and he was limping a little bit. He was having a problem with his leg. And I said, you still want to do this? And he said, yep. Uh, okay. We get back in the ring, go to raise his hand, kicks me, sets me up, goes to power bomb me again. Like I said, I have no ups. I really didn't help him much, <laughs> and he almost broke my neck. Um, if, if you go back and look at it, I land. I practically land right on my neck. Yeah, um, and I'm really lucky I, I didn't get hurt bad that night. Um, but we were the only ones who knew about it. I didn't want to go to um, the agent. Or, or someone and say, Hey, look, Mike wants to do this and then be considered a stooge. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, you know, what do I do? Do I, do I go and be a stooge and maybe I get a job to be a stooge <laughs> <laughs> or do I keep my mouth shut and, and don't get killed by the boys in the locker room afterwards? <laughs> right. um, so I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> and took the power bomb. <laughs> That's cool, man. Except for the part where you nearly broke your neck. But uh, I just <laughs> right. want to, I just want to know about that. And maybe Mike just did it because he just wanted to give the WWE a bit of a fuck you because of the way that they utilized him when he was there. Uh, Could be. <laughs> Uh, that, that that's what my assumption would be. There, uh, there was there were a lot of those being thrown around that night. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, so the same weekend, there is Hardcore Homecoming. And I just wanted your quick thoughts on on that as well. Did that also feel authentic ECW back in the ECW arena? I don't know. I wasn't there. Oh, you weren't on that one. Okay, no, I was not there. Shit. Any of the any of the independent, and I guess you would call them uh, ECW reunion. Really? Things and uh, and also the TNA ones I uh, wasn't part of. Right. I, my bad for not doing the research. That's okay. But I just I just made the assumption that every referee was also on those shows. Yeah. As well. Nope. No, I okay. wasn't invited. 
Wow. You, you weren't even invited. Are you nope. kidding me? You, no, you were there not even invited. Stay dot. Oh, Shane, how could you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, you, you alluded to it earlier. It's 2006. They do One Night Stand number two. I don't know why they called it that, but uh, because it's the reason it was called One Night Stand. But anyway, uh, 2006, they do it again. Obviously, it's not the same. You know, you've got a lot more WWE guys on the show. Uh, it's headlined by John Cena versus RVD, which was, it was incredible with the reaction from the audience and all that. And they're going to be bringing ECW back. Um, this was like the strike three for me when ECW came back and then they just killed it. Um, because strike one was the invasion angle sucks. Strike two was I hated how they used the NWO and strike three was this. It was like, you've let me down three times now. I don't have any faith in the company anymore. Uh, but for you, uh, when were you contacted and told about we're bringing it back full time and, and what did Tommy tell you about it? Uh, yeah, I, I forget exactly when I was contacted, but they they called me and said, "Hey, we're we're going to do another pay per view, and and we're going to put the show on TV. We're going to bring ECW back, <laughs> and we want you to." It, it it the story changed pretty quickly. Uh, we want you to be part of it, and I was like, "Cool." So I'm assuming that that means they're going to offer me a contract, um, which never did come. Okay. Um, so we did the pay-per-view and they still, okay, we'll see a TV on Tuesday. So we had Sunday, Monday off for raw Tuesday. We did TV with SmackDown crew. Yeah. Uh, so in, in Trenton, New Jersey, which was 30 minutes away from me. Great. Uh, at that show, um, a contract was offered to one of the referees, turned it down. So two of us were left. I'm, I'm not, don't want to mention names because it's not my business to, to do so. Two of us were still standing around thinking, well, maybe we'll, we'll get a contract. We never did never, or never got an offer. Um, the story changed. We want you at every show. We, we want you to be part of it. Now it became, we want you at what you can get to. Um, so I was like, uh, okay, next week is Albany, New York. I can get to Albany, New York and, and see how things developed from there. So the next week got to Albany, New York, did the show and the story changed. Now we want you or we want you, but we'll call you and let you know when we need you. Eh, that doesn't sound too good. And the next show was, I think, in Charleston, West Virginia or Beckley, West Virginia. Anyway, it was a good five, six hour drive for me. Uh, on a Tuesday night, which meant that I would have missed work Tuesday and working a regular job. Now I, I own my own uh, courier service. So I would have had to have not worked that day and probably not work the next day either. Cause I don't know if I would have been able to drive home that night to be able to work the next morning. And, um, I, I rode with Mike Keener and I said, I'm not doing it. I'm done. Um, uh, the money's not there for me. I'm making just as much money with, um, with what I'm doing outside of wrestling. So I'm not going to make the six hour drive to, to West Virginia. Um, okay. Nobody seemed to be concerned about it. 
the week after that, I think it was maybe the week after that, um, any, or the next big thing they had scheduled was in Philadelphia. They had a house show at the arena and they had TV taping at the, uh, the Wells Fargo Center, the big arena in Philadelphia. Um, didn't get a call. I didn't call them. Maybe that was my mistake. Um, but I've never been one to reach out too much, reach out personally, and or even just show up to a show. Somebody said, why don't you just go? Um, I'm not like that. I'm not one to beg for work. Uh, don't need it that bad. Didn't need it then. And I knew I wasn't going to get offered a contract if I showed up just to show that I was a, a good soldier, you know, and just show up and take their crap that they probably would have thrown me for being there. Um, so I didn't go. And that was, that was it. I walked away from it um, as a referee for, with, with that promotion. I was still doing independent stuff on the side on the weekends. Uh, but yeah, it was, that was it for me. So it's not, it's not my mother's ECW. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, as a fan, I, uh, as I started noticing that um, the referees slowly, slowly were disappearing mm-hmm. and Stephen D'Angelo got replaced. Yeah. Um, as soon as I started seeing stuff like that, that, you know, you know, they're letting it, letting Tommy and Paul do their thing, but then they have to start putting their fingers in there and get involved. Right. We don't really like, like I think Kevin Dunn, I don't really like Stephen D'Angelo's work as a, as a ring announcer. So we'll bring someone else in to do that. Okay. You're taking a bit of an essence away from ECW. And then once the referees slowly started to go, I was like, okay, I can, I can feel it. I can feel it. And then right. you know, obviously once RVD and Serpy were caught with weed in, in a car uh, and uh, the following week, Big Show became ECW champion. Um, even before that, to be honest with you, I already knew it wasn't going to be what it was. Honestly, I had no problem with the talent that they were using from WWE to, to be a part of ECW. I understand that they needed to. Uh, because it was a way to draw people who had never seen ECW, didn't know what it was, um, into watching us. So I knew it had to be done. I, I had no problem with that at all. Plus, Big Show was a great guy. Yeah. Very nice person. Uh, he he saved the referees from getting a good chewing out one night. Um, spoke up for us. And I'll, I'll never forget that. Yeah. You know, I will say this, even though, like, uh, uh, Things obviously weren't feeling ECW. I think he did a fantastic job as champion because he was going out there every week, putting himself through thumbtacks and tables and everything right. just to try and keep the vibe of ECW out there. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was it was a shame to start seeing it. You know, it's being filmed before SmackDown, and it doesn't look the same because they got two setups now for the stage, and just yeah, it it was disappointing for me. Uh, and you know. Once they got to that December to dismember pay-per-view, um, <laughs> ECW certainly were dismembered that day. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I've still never even watched that. I've you know what sucks? Them. Me and my friends <laughs> bought the pay-per-view and we were sitting there like, what is going on? This is a nightmare. Like, it's almost <laughs> like this is on purpose. That's how we felt like. Right. What, why did you take Sabu out of the main event? It's just stuff like that. And we had Sabu on the show a few weeks ago and he explained that. But uh, um, so uh, aside from all that, um, you know, 
Looking back on, on your time in professional wrestling, what do you hope that Jim Molino is most remembered for? Um, well, after ECW shut down, I was working with uh, the Monster Factory uh, yes. training facility. And, and then eventually we, come, we, we split off on our own and, and started OTW, which was the, prom the wrestling promotion we used for, for the Monster Factory at the time, which stands for Old Time Wrestling. Um, and between the two, uh, my time at the Monster Factory and, and then running OTW, um, we were able to get some people looked at. And, and they've been able to move on and, and get work. And, and to me, I hope someone said, remembers that I helped guys get to their goals. Um, I, I think that I, I really take that as, as what's more important to me than anything, than, than me being in the ring for any special match or, or anything like that. I, I, I hope that that's appreciated more than that, anything. Absolutely. And I know you had a hand in helping one Seamus become, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, let me, let me think, let me fix this. I, I, I always fix this story. Okay. Um, my name is associated with Seamus and Seamus did come to the monster factory too. Um, <laughs> but Seamus at the time was like an 18 or a 19 year old kid who was, uh, running free in the U S <laughs> you know, away from home. And so he, he tended to have a little more fun than working out which, which is wow. fine. Uh, but he, when he did work out, he worked out, he, he, he was really good. Um, but I think the biggest bit of advice I gave him was his visa was about ready to run out. And I said, go home <laughs> because <laughs> if you get stuck here with a bad v with your va visa, no, not good anymore, you're never going to be able to get back in the country. Right. So go home, make sure your visas are all taken care of and then come back. But what he did was he trained over there with um, with Irish Whip, and and he called me um, when Tommy was was running talent and WWE was doing a tour of of the UK and uh, and Ireland and wanted to get a look at. So I called Tommy and said, "Do me a favor, look at this guy." And they looked at him. They didn't take him that year. They took him the next year. Um, he had, he had become friends with Finley, kept in touch with Finley, and uh, and that was how he got him. But yeah, the. Biggest advice I gave to, to, to Seamus was to go home. <laughs> oh, but there are God. guys, yeah. But there are guys now that are have reached their goals. Uh, there were a couple of guys that were already at the Monster Factory. Um, Tank Tolan, who was one of the Dicks, if you yeah. remember, the Dick Brothers, um, and uh, and Cliff Compton, who was Deuce or was from Domino, from Deuce and Domino. Yeah. Um, Brian Johnson, who's working now with Ring of Honor, uh, is one of our guys. Brian, really, really good guy. If you watch Ring of Honor, check him out. He's, he's really good. Um, you know, we got um, Seamus there. Um, even though he, st he started with us, but I wasn't in, involved with the end of his training. Um, um, oh, um, Martinez, um, shoot. Why can't I think of the right name name that he uses now? Uh, Damian Priest. Oh, Damian course. Priest yep. was was one of my guys. Uh, QT Marshall at AEW is one of my guys. Nick Camarado at AEW is one of my guys. Who just right. made wow. last night's last night's TV show. I don't know if you you've got it yet there or not. I don't know. I I, I watched the uh, the latest pay per view and I saw him come out and I was like, look at this guy. He's a <laughs> yeah. I mean, he 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 could be a, the next Bruiser Brody if they played him right. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there are guys out there who are, are getting a name for themselves and, and have gotten a name for themselves that, that I hope they say, Hey, Jim was, Jim was a hell. Yeah. And so you heard it here first folks, if it wasn't for Jim Molyneux, Seamus might have had a bit of a tough time. <laughs> Seamus would still be doing indies in Ireland. <laughs> um, Jim, is there anything that you would like to plug, you know, your social media presence or anything that you're involved with right now? Let everyone out there know where to find Jim Molyneux and find out what he's doing today. Uh, the only way you can get a hold of me on social media is through Twitter. And it's at Jim Molino, J-I-M-M-O-L-I-N-E-A-U-X. Uh, that's the only way you can get a hold of me on uh, the internet uh, with, or with social media. Uh, like I said, tonight and, and hopefully further on, I'll be working with the ECWA. Uh, you can check them out. I'm working with a local, another local promotion called Dog, D-A-W-G. And I am their... Um, the head of their booking com- or matchmaking committee. I don't like using the word booking. I'm head of their matchmaking committee. So I'm kind of in, in front of the camera for them uh, for that. Uh, also um, have a, on the 19th, I'm doing a virtual signing and, and I don't have the link, but I'm sure you'll be able to find it eventually when, when I get it, uh, I'll be tweeting it out, but I'm doing a virtual signing with Francine. Um, oh, cool! And we're 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 going to be doing some signing some stuff uh, for a couple hours on the nineteenth, and then next month in July, um, the twenty sixth or twenty fourth, I forget what that Saturday. I think it's the twenty sixth. Um, I'm going to be in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. There's a big convention, the Legends of Hamburg, and if you don't know anything about Hamburg, Pennsylvania, it's where WWWF used to do a lot of television. So there are going to be guys from that area or for that era. Um, Tito Santana, uh, Danny Davis, Larry Zabisco, guys like that are going to be there. Um, they're doing a whole ECW thing. So I'm going to be there. Todd's going to be there. Sandman, cool. um, uh, Scorpio. They just added the FBI. Uh, Kimono Wanale is going to be there. Oh, wonderful. Um, <laughs> Fonzie's going to be there. So that, that'll be a wild ride. And then there'll be other, the, the comp- building's been used for years. Uh, for independent shows. So there are going to be a bunch of independent people there too. Um, and then there's a show afterwards, uh, matches, um, the company's called uh, Outbreak. And um, I'm going to be doing something there. I'm not exactly sure what, but I'll have my gear with me just in case. <laughs> Excellent. Everyone, you know, you, if you're watching this on YouTube, right down there in the description, everything that Jim has just plugged, it will be right there. So you can find the links right there and you can check out what's going on. Um, okay, Jim, it's come to the segment now, the famous segment that I like to call five second frenzy. You have five seconds to answer each question. Even if you break the five second rule, it's okay. (laughs) I'm on the other side of the world. There's not much I can do about it. You won't get in trouble. Uh, uh, here here we go. Jim Moller, second frenzy. Who is your favorite wrestler? Wow. Favorite wrestler, probably, uh, Going back over the years, looking at it, I'm more of a tag team guy, um, but I would say single wrestler, Terry Funk. Excellent. Um, usually the next one would be your favorite opponent, but I would I would rather ask you, you know, who is your favorite wrestler to referee a match for? Probably Dean Malenko. Wonderful. Uh, and 
what would you say would be your favorite match of all time that you've seen? That I've seen or been a part of? Uh, either or. Uh, favorite match that favorite match that I've seen was um, probably a double bull rope match. This was the first uh, Great American Bash I ever went to. Double bull rope match between Ron Garvin and Dusty Rhodes against Ric Flair and Tully Blanchard. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, the next one, we're getting away from wrestling now, Jim. What's your favorite book? I'm not a reader. Um, I'm a comic book guy. Okay, favorite comic? <laughs> which is, which is, um, Captain America is my favorite hero of all time. Excellent. Uh, Jim, what's your favorite TV show? Ooh. Um, probably in the long run, MASH. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, next one is very similar. Favorite film? Casablanca. Wonderful. Uh, favorite movie Greatest movie artist. ever made. Greatest movie ever made. If you've <laughs> never seen it, I know people who won't watch movies that are in black and white have to watch this movie. And the only way to watch it is in black and white. Greatest movie ever made. Right. I'll, I'll make sure I get onto that because I have not seen Casablanca. Wow. <laughs> and uh, Jim, I know that you and I have the same taste of music after looking at your Twitter. Who is your favorite <laughs> musical artist? Um. Uh, I, as much as I'd really like to say Led Zeppelin, I got to go Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> oh, very nice, bro. I've, I've been going to see Blue Oyster Cult with my high school buddies since 1977. And uh, and we go, try to go when they come through. And now they're playing smaller venues and it's a lot better and a lot more fun. And, and we can remember it. <laughs> right, nice. I, I know that in the last couple of years, they brought out a new album and all that. Um, yeah, the new album's really, really, really good. Really? To listen to it. Yeah, yeah, real good. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm I'm big in my 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 hard rock and and heavy metal. So uh, yeah, uh, that's my world. Excellent, bro. Excellent. I'm sure we could do a whole show talking just about metal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we probably could. <laughs> uh, Jim, what is your favorite food? Depending on where it's where I get it, um, a, a chili cheese dog. Oh, that sounds nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jim, you, what's your favorite place to eat on the road? Um, wow. Um, when we came across them, uh, Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel was like a five-course meal for ECW. <laughs> so it was Cracker Barrel. <laughs> right, we've had that a couple of times on the show. Um, so, yep, that's a good answer. Uh, what's your favorite alcoholic beverage? I don't drink. Okay. Um, I, I, uh, but I like, when I did drink, I, I like craft beers. Okay. Um, and, and if you just had a regular beverage you like to drink, what do you like to drink? Uh, I drink green iced tea. Oh, very uh, healthy. <laughs> uh, okay. Second last one, Jim, is it's the naughtiest one of Five Second Frenzy. Your favorite <laughs> female body part. What's something about a, a lady that you just like the most? Well, it would depend on the lady and how well I knew her. <laughs> um, and and not to be not to be insulting to any woman, but um, her eyes. You can tell a lot from someone's eyes. Yeah, that was what. Uh, that's what I fell in love with. with my partner was her eyes. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I take that answer. Uh, and uh, the last one, Jim. 
I don't think you've sworn or said any curse words in this interview so far. I, I, I know, I know what I said. <laughs> <laughs> but what would you your favorite curse word be? Um, shit, shit stain. <laughs> shit stain. <laughs> yeah, like shit stain. It's a great name for someone. <laughs> and if, if you and if you and if you listen to certain person's podcast, you know who we're talking about. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Bob Bartista's answer was shit. So uh, very, very <laughs> close, very close there. But uh, Jim Molinoy, oh, man, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. This was so much fun just to reminisce with you on your memories and your time in professional wrestling. And I just want to say that you should be so proud of what you were able to accomplish and to be able to be a part of ECW with your good friend, John, from the very beginning right until the end that is something that you must be so proud of that and i hope you are because you know i'm in the most isolated city in the world perth western australia and i totally uh 100 appreciate what you and john and peewee and mike keener etc your hard work as referees in ecw a light is being shone on you here today i appreciate that i'm, I'm very lucky that um, when when ECW's all done and said, we're all still friends. Absolutely, bro. So thank you again. I really appreciate it, sir. Thanks, and and peace to everyone out there. And, and a special hello to my friend Mana uh, in um, in oh, Australia. You know Mana, you do know. you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, he, he lives in uh, he lives in my state. Oh, great, great. <laughs> Tell him I said hello. Will do. So thank you again, Jim. Thank you. And thank you, everyone out there, for watching the Insiders Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Ferry, alongside my new friend, Jim Molino. And we will see you all next time. Thank you. Peace and love. <laughs>